Hey everybody, welcome back to Explain Like I'm 5, the podcast where we take the questions you always wanted to ask and talk about them in a way that's easy to understand. We are your hosts, I'm Tim. Hey everyone, I'm Kevin. So Kevin, last week we asked our listeners if they wanted to follow up with our shampoo episode with another one this week on conditioners. So what did folks say? They said they've heard enough of hair care for now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I kind of figured that might be the case. Uh, So instead, we have a topic that's quite the the contrast from last week's, and one I know that the five-year-old Kevin would absolutely love. Ooh, so what is it? So when you were five, we used to have, and and when I was five, um, one of the things I loved talking about was fast planes. There were lots of those around, remember? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember. And uh, air shows were great. I really loved it. And uh, SR-71 in particular, such a cool plane. That's right. But did you realize that it's been almost 50 years since that speed record uh, has been broken? Um, There haven't really been any more ridiculously fast planes built like the SR-71. Pretty much the last few decades, uh, we haven't seen anything. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Um, I think as of, you know, as of 2020, the SR-71 continues to hold the world record. It set all the way back in 1976 for the fastest air-breathing manned aircraft. The SR-71 operated at both high speeds and altitudes. You know, it traveled at Mach 3.2, 85,000 feet, uh, to allow it to outtrace threats. Yeah, uh, it could even fly faster than some missiles, right? Yeah, totally. So if a surface-to-air missile launch was detected, the standard evasive action was simply to accelerate and outfly the missile. Um, And even its predecessor, the A-12, first flew in Area 51 Nevada, I think on uh, April 25, 1962. Mm. So that's like almost 60 years ago, you know? Um, And the CIA, you know, then they made a slightly smaller single-seater SR-71. So why has there been so little progress in between that time and today? Mm, Well, you know, it does have to do with why we needed such a plane in the first place. Um, We hadn't put a man on the moon back in the 60s, remember? So before we could use satellites to take pictures from space, if we wanted to see what was going on in enemy territory, we actually had to take pictures from a plane. So enemies didn't want us taking pictures, so they would try to stop a plane, uh, usually by blowing it up with some missiles. And we didn't quite have stealth technology yet to keep from being seen. So if we wanted to avoid getting hit with missiles, we needed a way to avoid them. And, you know, the best way we could come up, come up with at the time was to just go as fast as we can so they couldn't even catch up. And uh, being really high in the air also helped us because it's easier to go fast up high. And because it will take missiles so long to get up to you, you would be out of the area before they even reach that height. So as a result, the SR-71 was designed to go as high and as fast as possible. Ah, I see. Uh, So essentially it boils down to, since that time, we now have other solutions to satellite imagery and stealth mode. Yes, exactly. That's a very uh, simple way to understand it. And since then, we have learned to build, you know, space satellites to take our pictures, uh, which can't be hit with missiles, of course. We've also developed stealth technology for planes, which keeps them from being seen on radar. And that essentially means we no longer need to develop these planes for high and fast work. So the SR-71 still remains the best at that. Okay, so let's talk about another fast plane, Um, this time the Concorde. Ah, yes, the Concorde. I think it first flew in uh, March of 1969 and was commercially introduced in January 1976. So, you know, a similar time frame. Uh, Then unfortunately retired in 2003. Well, that is exactly my question. Why did the Concorde stop flying? 
It was actually, you know, a whole host of different reasons. It was not one factor or reason that killed it by itself, but there are a few main ones. Well, wasn't it because of the crash, uh, you know, and also because of economics? Yeah, yeah, those are definitely the most frequently cited, uh, but there are actually a lot of other details lost in the mix that probably had more to do with being retired. Uh, but let's, let's talk about those two first. So there absolutely was a loss of confidence and increased safety measures after that crash of an Air France Concorde in Paris in uh, July 25, 2000. And many people like to believe that the loss of that Concorde was the kind of the, the final nail in the coffin for them, but that's not, that's, that's not necessarily true. All other things being equal, it would have barely have passed uh, BAAF in terms of worrying about the aircraft's future, as the aircraft had a near flawless safety record at the time. Uh, but at some point in time, you know, every airframe has a crash for some reason, and the fact that Concorde had operated for so long because his first fatal accident actually says that aircraft was really a well-designed one. Uh, but some of the adaptions required following the crash were going to be actually really costly. And remember, this is just before 9-11 happened, so that kind of added to it too. So it was all about economics then? Yeah, yeah. Well, there was a downturn in the economy, uh, but contrary to popular belief, Concord was always profitable. So it can never be said to have a, had been a huge source of profit for BAAF, and if might be fair to say it sometimes was closer to breaking even, but it never, you know, ran at a loss. When you talk about BAAF, you mean uh, British Airways and uh, Air France, is that right? Air France, yes, yes, the two big, the two big ones in Europe. Right. Um, so, so you know, when we talk about economy here, we really talk about the economy of scale. So, uh, looking into how it worked, it kind of it ran, it ran on a schedule that allowed it to break even. Uh, Concorde never flew in empty seats. The price of a ticket was astronomical, uh, and it reflected its operating costs. So the upside of this was that flying on it was almost a zero-weight experience that got you from London to New York in 4 hours, 15 minutes, uh, once you know, check-in time was calculated. Then uh, there were no queues at the airports or checking in 3 hours earlier or anything like that. Minimum check-in was 45 minutes before the flight. Uh, it had its own baggage check lines and security for only 160 people. Uh, your time in the airport was kept to an absolute minimum, which is amazing. And the downside of this was you just you couldn't book a flight a flight to fit your dates. Uh, you fitted your dates kind of around flying on the Concorde. So an aircraft on the ground that isn't flying and carrying passengers absolutely hemorrhages money for the airline. Uh, but in the case of Concorde, the time spent on the ground was unavoidable, so it was factored into the cost of a ticket. And that began. That being said, again, this is the early 2000s, 2001, right? So fuel prices and maintenance costs also didn't rise, uh, and the ticket costs couldn't really go any higher. So it pointed to kind of losses in the future when you look at it. Uh, you mean fuel prices and maintenance costs, uh, they were rising after 9-11, um, but they couldn't. Yes, yes. Um, so you said there were some other key reasons as well. Yeah, yeah. So there are maybe two more important reasons, actually. Um, one being actually a reluctant maintenance company in the form of Airbus. So Airbus had a contract to maintain the Concorde, I didn't want to continue on with it beyond its review date. So maintaining the Concorde required extremely skilled people and sophisticated facilities only a company like Airbus could do. So when Airbus indicated they did not want to do it anymore, that was going to be a big problem uh, that the company didn't really have an immediate solution for. And what was the final reason for Concorde being retired? After it was announced that the Concorde would be retired, British Airways and Air France had a multitude of offers from actually several aviation companies to take or buy the aircraft and continue flying them. 
Uh, and one of the most likely offers was from Virgin Atlantic. Richard Branson, right? Yeah, yeah, Richard Branson. Um, actually, it was actually funny. So he did not believe he actually actually buy the planes uh, after they were basically gifted to the BA and Air France by the French and British governments. And as it turns out, British Airways, uh, they were not willing to continue operating them, but they were going to let, them, let anyone else have the prestige of operating them either, uh, as they were legally owned them, so they said no. And it was entirely feasible that they could have had a few more years in them if they were allowed to open to this. That is so sad. <laughs> yeah, a war that could have been. That's right. So if supersonic travel isn't inherently uneconomic or even difficult, now we've got much better composite materials and so on, will we see more Concorde-like planes in the future? Uh, similar question to the one we started with, you know, the SR-71 and the A-12. Uh, why, why no more progress? Well, actually, just this week, uh, you know, a company named uh, Boom Supersonic launched their XB-1 plane, which is a prototype for basically a Mach 2.255 passenger supersonic transport with a range of 4,500 miles. So right now, it's just an experimental jet, but we might not actually have to wait too long. It's uh, slated to be introduced in 2023. Well, that's very exciting. Did you like what you heard? Learn something new? If you did, send us an email at eli5thepodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from our listeners. And of course, thank you to the wonderful community at Explain Like I'm 5 uh, on Reddit. We will see you all next week.